0: We are back. It is me and my boy, John. Say hey. Hello. We're going to be reviewing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We are going to be doing a spoiler-free review at the start, but then we're going to go into the right details at the end, so you might want to stick around for that one. We're also going to be talking about all the new stuff that's come out of the Disney Plus streaming service over the last few days. We're going to be talking about that last Christmas trailer, and we're going to be doing a whole bunch of filmy stuff in between. In a cloud where there
1: are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men, armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me. Hello,
0: welcome to the Talk filmy to me podcast, a film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. I'm excited. Do you know why I'm excited? Because Quentin Tarantino's released his latest film and we are here to talk about it. John, my main man, how are you doing, pal?
1: I'm amazing. Fresh off my mandate with you last night, watching the Tarantino's latest flick and
0: bloody loved it. Well, before we go into review. Cause actually, the uh, the way we're going to do this pod is we'll do a a spoiler-free review right up front so we'll talk about the general gist of the film what we liked in a spoiler free way and give it a score uh, we'll then go into the news and general talk film with me stuff and then we're going to do a spoiler filled segment at the end where there's a few things we want to talk and get off our chest and I'm sure anyone who has seen this film also wants to hear about this as well but I just want to give a shout out to, to Kieran uh, he dropped us an email recently if you want to get in contact with us get in contact on twitter at talk film with Me or email us podcast at com. and I just wanted to, to give this a little bit of a shout out Um, yeah first of all hi Flint and the guys loving your shows I particularly enjoy the Soho shows I discovered you guys when you had Elizabeth on the show and she tweeted about it Um, been a subscriber ever since but I do have to ask the question your intro although I appreciate you've had it for a long time is probably a little bit dated it's not just two guys anymore what are you going to be doing about it and me and John were talking about this off mic. We will be redoing the jingle and the intro. We're gonna find the guy who done the original voice work and probably get him to do something more. John, where are you feeling we're gonna go with this? We're gonna keep it epic and, and action y or are we gonna keep it subtle and film noiry? <laughs> Maybe rom comy. Um well we are still <laughs> two guys with
1: rubbish opinions, but we also have some quite uh, well-thought-out opinions from mostly female guest speakers now so it is time for a revamp you're right um even though i'm not just being big-headed but it is one of the best podcast intros of any film podcast that there is today but maybe two years is long enough to give it a little switcheroo so good point kieran
0: well there you go so have you got other things you want to send us or feedback and also actually thank you to ten dollar shake um person who reviewed us on itunes gave a really nice glowing review. Uh, yeah feel free to get on the different podcast apps and give us reviews on that as well. We do read them. We do take all feedback on board. And yes, we do give shout outs as well on that. Anyway, that's enough housekeeping over and done with John. Let's fucking talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let's do it.
1: I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure. remember Mr. Schwartz. I'm in my office. Put it there. That's your son? No, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth last night we watched a rick Dalton double feature <laughs> all the shooting <laughs> i love that stuff you know the killing a lot of killing
0: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the ninth and, if you believe, previous endeavours in the press, he's penultimate movie from the director Quentin Tarantino. Uh, This is focusing on an amazing cast, if you look at this on paper. Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Al Pacino. Essentially, this story focuses around two protagonists, two well, well, I suppose they are both actors. Uh, a leading frontman actor played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's stuntman who has been his partner in crime for the best past the best part of ten years, played by Brad Pitt. Essentially, it's about these two actors trying to find their way in the classic era of Hollywood, whilst at the same time some famous storylines are happening in the background, true to real life of Margot Robbie being played. Oh, sorry, Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate. Uh, I don't want to go into too much spoiler details because, as we mentioned at the start of the pod, we're going to go spoiler a little bit later on but essentially it's about a revival of a career or a career on a path to to finding other things and trying to be back in his prime leonardo dicaprio in this film in my opinion is fucking sensational john what did you think of this film
1: yeah absolutely on board with you (laughs) and leo i I mean that's one of the main points for me leo's performance one of his best i think um i mean (laughs) 20 years ago you'd never imagined this dude would have a career like he has now and he's one of those actors now that just for me signals a quality film and always an interesting quality performance but there's so many layers to his character so flawed um, and he just puts in an incredible performance particularly as you know he's acting within the film so there's these Mm. uh, he's obviously in these cheesy TV westerns and stuff where he has to act as well and his acting is uh it was interesting because he was so good but we all know those tv westerns from the 60s i mean it's that cheesy old style isn't it uh he wasn't yeah. doing that he was doing proper acting which is obviously a choice but um it was just sensational performance from leonardo leonardo
0: dicaprio yeah there's one scene in particular which i, I mean you see part of this in the trailer where it's him bouncing off of a little girl who is basically and there's something really weird because quentin tarantino does obviously quentin tarantino dialogue duh but it's kind of become his gimmick that everyone does typical tarantino dialogue now and to see a 10 year old girl do like a riff in the style of Quentin Tarantino, was really weird and jarring. <laughs> but the scene that that then plays into, where basically Leo's character, and this isn't a spoiler, he basically has a bit of a breakdown on set and hides in his trailer and you know looks himself in the mirror, gives him that pep talk to to go back in there, and he goes and gives a fucking A-grade performance. In fact, you see the, that part of the performance in the trailer. And I remember when that trailer came out and I called that bit out to you, John. I don't know if you remember saying that scene alone is all you need to know about Leo's acting ability but also his character in this film goes for a full range of emotion it generally is incredible to watch and he is having so much fun with this I mean they were showing some clips where this must have been fun to do But they want to show the back catalogue of his character and the career he has had thus far and Basically, he was an ex-TV actor, done some films, and it's kind of on his way out. And he's literally being used to prop up the new young things that are coming in. And he obviously isn't happy about this. And But showing that, that back catalogue of films and TV is just so funny. You can see there's so much fun that was being made into that. I I, I could watch those little segments all day.
1: Mm, yeah. I mean, it was so enjoyable. Every you know with the pastiches of the old westerns i think tarantino was just mm-hmm. absolutely couldn't wait you could tell how much fun he was having right in those cheesy scenes uh and truth be told he probably would do a whole movie of that um but yeah i mean uh, the dialogue was far better than anything i've ever seen from one of those um old movies and old um old tv <laughs> shows maybe not the classic movies but i mean it was just like it was almost taking a piss wasn't it how good they were and how funny they were and like the just uh the range of the emotional range that it, they were putting on um but yeah i mean i want to talk a little bit of soundtrack wise obviously set in the 60s this oh has, my god bangers. it was just a who's who best of Uh, awesome 60s music that just go that went with the LA backdrop for the whole thing right I mean yeah I've been having the Spotify
0: playlist on all day loved it
1: (laughs) oh mate I'm getting on that straight away that was yeah sensational
0: yeah but I mean with with that you're right there's kind of this old pastiche homage to the classic days the good old days the golden age as some call it from that perspective when men were men and and women were were classy and and all the things that older people probably hold on to nowadays but um it's obvious that Quentin Tarantino grew up watching a lot of this stuff and you've seen it through his back catalog he always pays homage and tributes to it in different ways but this is like a If I have to go out and this is the last time I can really tap into this side of things, he fucking went there. He went there with the culture. He went there with the colour palette. He went there with the music. And he went there with just the the real live essence of Hollywood at that time. Uh, And this is where I think Tarantino's at his absolute best is when he takes something that we all know a little bit about and maybe know the truth about certain things and twists one key element or one key part to be in his fictional Tarantino universe. And he does this, I think, to a great degree with the way the film concludes. Now, I'm I'm not going to go into spoilers. Like I said, we'll talk about that in the the spoiler bit at the end of this pod. But he takes one key fact, which is... uh, Because there are people that actually existed in the real world that are in this film. And he changes the course of history. He does an alternate timeline Similar to what he does in Inglourious Bastards*, where he literally kills Hitler. And um, it's just interesting when he does that, when he kind of takes in and goes, you think you know about this? Well, I'm telling you, in my world, this is how that, that story pans out. And I found it fascinating. In that sense, though, the film was a bit of a slow burner. So I've talked about how much I loved it. I'm going to talk about the things that I didn't like so much. Uh, I literally wanted to like shout halfway through this film, what is the point of view? Because <laughs> it does take a while to get going, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it's sort of just a a mosaic, strange kaleidoscope of Tarantino's ideas. And the scenes, they're all incredible, interesting scenes. And they've got so much character to all of them. But you're kind of wondering, how is it all fitting into each other? Um, And to be honest, by the end, you, you kind of still have that feeling, but you've enjoyed the ride so much. And I can't think of many directors who can give you a two and a half hour film where you're not, actively kind of annoyed about it but you're just enjoying the ride so much <laughs> he gets away with it doesn't he but
0: uh- he does he does I agree with you completely there was one bit where I was literally thinking because there was a press conference done when it done the rounds at the film conferences and festivals and stuff with about Margot Robbie's um, Sharon Tate of she doesn't have that many lines in the film and although she's she's in quite a few scenes and she's very expressive which is you know a great great trait to have, but I was there thinking, those comments are right, like she's not actually in this film that much, in fact 80% of her time, she might as well just be called dancing girl because essentially all it is is just watching her dancing in slow-mo uh, but you know she works with what she's got she does emote really well when she has those opportunities to shine but this isn't a sharon tate story and anyone who knows the history of sharon tate knows it's probably a good reason why you don't make it a sharon tate story and this is very much focused on leo and brad's relationship the the buddy cop duo whatever you want to call it like but what I find fascinating is in a day when you've got films like Hobbs and Shaw, and I'm not comparing them, the only thing I'm trying to say is that you have divas in Hollywood who have to be the alpha male, who have to have a certain number of punches given and receiving, who have to get top billing on certain posters in different countries, who have to be the, have their egos fluffed up by making sure mm-hmm. they've got a love interest of a certain age demographic, or you whatever know, what everything else that comes in between of that. Now, this is a proper give-and-take performance from Brad and Leo. There's times where Brad is the brunt of jokes, there's times that like Leo is the brunt of the joke, and there's times where they have to big, big the other person up, give them their moment to reflect back and shine. And they work so... The chemistry between them is so good. Yeah, totally. I
1: mean, And there's so much going on in so many levels of this film. It's quite meta, really, because it's a film about Hollywood, mm. but it's a Hollywood film. You know, you've got the sharon tate who barely has any lines and kind of dances around and you know looks good like you would have in those kind of old more more of a sexist time then you got the leading man you got the the lead cowboy leo uh, who turns out you know he's a cowboy on screen but the real cowboy turns out uh in a lot of ways is brad pitt without spoiling anything but um so there's a lot of meta jokes and uh as you would see in every tarantino movie there's just so many layers but what i will say it kind of requires as particularly the end i think it requires a level of knowledge from the viewer that most people probably don't have um so there Mm -hmm. is like possibly a criticism how like how accessible is this movie because um certainly if you don't know the history behind it it might definitely you're not going to get the payoff that you would if you if you knew everything about the awful things that happened in 1969
0: in hollywood yeah no i completely agree look i think there's some absolutely classic moments here um you know full disclosure this is probably my in my top three tarantino movies um it's not it's not taking Inglorious Bastards off the top or Pulp Fiction. Uh, but it's probably in that bracket of Kill Bill, maybe Reservoir Dogs. That's kind of the, the world for me in terms of like where's this sit in terms of the pantheon of Mr. Tarantino. And um, there's one thing though I find fascinating, and we'll talk about this more in the spoiler bit, but I think he's going horror next. Um I think he experiments with horror in this film. There's one scene in particular which is, uh, again, you know, I I don't want to spoil it or talk about it later, but I think he's trying out different horror tropes, and I think that's where he's going next. Hmm.
1: I I agree. I put this in the top three. I don't... I'm not going to do my list. I, I, you know, need about two hours to prepare exactly where everything is, but I put this in top three or four. I think it was without, you know... There's definitely some criticisms about the slightly jaggedy disjointedness, but there's just so way too much to enjoy for it not to be up there. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's a tough one. I,
0: I think this is... Pro- like, if I'm being brutal, I think this is probably an average Tarantino movie, but because of Brad Pitt and because of Leonardo DiCaprio, given the performances they do, and the way the film just... All of a sudden, you know what? It stops being a mirror to Hollywood and then becomes a Tarantino flick in the kind of third act. Then it all of a sudden becomes like, yes, this is just Tarantino taking off the gloves, no holes barred. Fuck it. He's done his big bit. Now this is all about the sort of things he likes to tell. And he likes to go gory. He likes to go lavish. He likes to go interesting dialogue decisions and interesting narratives. And he he does that in that third act, I think, really, to a, to a good degree. So... I feel like it's on the cusp of a four out of five, but there's something holding me back. Mm. I, I, I'm going five, I think. You're going five? Think, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Shall we meet in the
1: middle and say four? Oh, yeah. A reluctant four for me, but I, I can, go, I can Fair enough. go with four. I feel like Tarantino's done probably about six five-star ra- five rated movies for me, and this would be one of them. I don't think you well, get many I'd movies like this. They don't come around too often, so um, when they do, I think they deserve a five, but I will reluctantly go to your four.
0: Okay, alright, well then, in that case, then I'll uh, push mine up to the four. And there you have it. Once upon a time in Hollywood, four out of five. Charlie's gonna dig you. And that John, the Disney Plus machine keeps on rolling. We were talking a lot about the various uh, straight to plus movies that are coming out on their slate but they are not stopping or giving up uh, the next thing they've announced recently or they're on the cusp of announcing depending on which outlet you read this from there's going to be an obi-wan tv show coming to disney plus originally this was meant to be a film uh, various directors were attached to it and writers uh, ewan mcgregor has been seen around Lucasfilm, film sniffing around getting involved in various things and having discussions and i think it's pretty obvious that he'll be reprising the role it's kinda of good, man. Like I I generally think he has played this character to an amazing degree, and I think there's a generation out there who are itching to see this guy back. Are you excited for this? Uh
1: yeah, I think if anyone kind of deserves to reprise the role from those slightly um, average movies it's uh ewan mcgregor um and i enjoy anything that he does really so i, I find it funny disney plus have got probably about a hundred things that they can announce and they're just staggering it right so they're in mm. it's, it's in the news every week something different not well played disney plus
0: yeah they know how to control the narrative right in fact mm-hmm. they were dropping a picture of their lady and the tramp live action remake which i'm being honest it looks like someone's just taking a cut a picture of a couple of dogs Like they're gone. They're using similar tech to what they've done for the Lion King, and uh, yeah, this is this is going to be available in November on the Disney Plus streaming service, and that's not even in when it's in the UK yet. So, I mean, they are they are not slowing down with this.
1: A a romantic a romantic film about dogs. I think you've got to have cartoon dogs. If they look too real, I mean, that's I, I find that a bit creepy. A love story between two yeah. real-looking dogs, because we know how dogs <laughs> get it on, and there's nothing romantic about it, Flinty.
0: <laughs> I don't think they thought that bit through. Maybe it's a, maybe it's just uh you know, a sly look away while that happens. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I get your point. And look. The Whole thing is, is that animation is that place where you can make you can suspend the disbelief. That's why your characters, your creatures, your monsters, your animals they have exaggerated features because you know what the concept is you're supposed to pl- completely be bought into this, and so you're not distracted by the fact that's a dog talking or singing. Yeah, it emotes in a way which is very human, which means makes it relatable. And um, this is why The Lion King, although it was made over a billion dollars and is their highest grossing property outside of Star Wars or a Marvel film, um, still doesn't hit the mark for me. And I still think that even though you've made a lot of money does not mean that it's as good as the box office suggests it is. And I, look, this is just going on to Disney plus it's, I don't know what that much more about it other than just they've, they've gone down this quote unquote live action route. And mm. as long as they do the song, you know, you get the banger, he's a tramp. <laughs> but I love him. Yeah, if they do that that then then cool, but um yeah, it's Let's let's see till we see something moving rather than photographs. But yeah, I agree with you. They should like, ring up the old guard. Get the get the old guys back in. You know they they're around. They're knocking around. They got some of them out of retirement to do the animation for Mary Poppins Returns. So there are people that have of this ilk still around the Disney lot. So why not give them something cool and remind us of what this great art form was? But um, I don't know. I don't know. What's your take?
1: Yeah, I agree. It's getting a bit real. Shit's getting too real for me. Disney, dial it, dial it back a notch. Let's uh, let's get back to making fun-looking cartoons, shall we? Actually, don't touch Robin Hood. Mm. Do you know, there's every time they announce a remake, I'm like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Little Mermaid, don't care. Robin Hood, oh, now if, if they touch announce it. that... Because they're getting to the dregs now, aren't they? Um, and mm. I don't think that film is dreg. It's my favourite Disney movie, but... They get into the ones like that where you're like, "Oh, we've done everything else. Oh, what can we remake?" So, um, a, a little piece of me might die if I hear that announced because I, I it's not going to go well. But uh...
0: no, I agree with you. Do you know there's a generation of people out there who fucking fancy Robin Hood? Like seriously, the amount of amount of women and the odd guy I know who says Robin Hood, man, that fox, that is a set. That fox will get it. The amount of people out there that would fuck that fox. <laughs>
1: It's all about the voice, I think. It's just a a kind of fancy, well-to-do Hugh Grant voice, isn't it? But I never knew there was... I I, I never knew that. I mean, obviously, as a young boy, I fancied the Maid Marian Fox, um, you know. And that's why this is creepy for a generation of people, right? You know, you grow up, (laughs) and fancy a a fox, and as a kid, you don't know why, blah, blah, blah. Then you get older. you Don't remake that into a... Real looking animal. Now I feel weird. I've divulged way
0: too much. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. <laughs> I remember when you said you used to fancy Nala at the Lion King. I don't think you're in any danger of fancying the, the new version. At least, if, or if you have, then there is actually a problem. Um, but so you mentioned about Little Mermaid. Um, let's talk about Harry Styles for a minute. So he he was apparently Anytime. very, very close to being uh, Prince Eric. And in fact, the internet like reacted quite way the internet does and yeah he was pretty much on the cusp of signing a contract and then he pulled out at the last second Uh keep it clean people and uh I'm kind of glad for this to be honest because I, I don't know uh, obviously he's a good singer we know that because he was in One Direction but if his name wasn't Harry <laughs> Styles would he have even got the job mm. well do you know what I, I mean?
1: I he really uh he actually converted me in um Dunkirk. I thought he did a good job. He didn't have much to do, but I think it was well cast and he, he did his job well. Uh so I I'm um. open to it, but I've so why is is there any he hasn't turned it down yet.
0: He has turned it down. Yeah, apparently he has. Is yeah, it apparently they they're on the look for the well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he just thinks to steer clear of these these remakes at the moment, just because the amount of heat they're getting from fandoms and things like that. In fact, um, Joanne, who was on the pod last week, she wrote a really interesting piece on her blog, and I think it's going to be syndicated elsewhere as well, as to why it's a good idea to not have Harry Styles. And essentially, you know, read the article because it's an amazing piece. But essentially, the reason, the thing that she's getting at is you want to get actors who come in and embody the role not people who already have a personality and then come in because you'll be watching the film and instead of saying that's prince eric you'll say that's harry styles where for example chris hemsworth when you see chris hemsworth now you say that's four and you know it's kind of like they've inherited that they inherited the mantle and become famous because of the name not the other way around and that means that you're more engrossed you're more you. you you don't have the toxic fandom of what they had before and everything else. So I, I agree with that. Find your unknown and give them the, give them the, the look and the feel and make them your, your, you know, whatever they're trying to hire them as.
1: Or you do shark's tail and just make all the fish look exactly like the actual actors, which was kind of a cool (laughs) idea. If a bit novel.
0: Very true. Uh, uh, It's not Al Pacino. Who was it? God, my tongue. Yeah, 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 that was incredible. (laughs) With the big eyebrows. Anyway, so just... Well, you need to have the the eyebrows. So just to finish off on Disney, Aladdin made over a billion dollars as well. In fact, this is the first time ever a studio has had five separate properties gross over a billion dollars in one summer. Just to put that in perspective, that's like more than the GDP of a lot of small countries. That is absolutely insane.
1: It is insane in in many ways um the fact that aladdin and <laughs> king have done so well and yet arguably aren't that great <laughs> is uh, a yeah. little bit worrying i think you know what are we doing we're voting with our money and we're telling disney oh yeah we're fine with all of that just keep keep pumping out remakes
0: and we'll keep lapping it up well the fact that disney are now going to do a sequel to their aladdin live action remake um, is is more evidence of this coming in fact it's kind of strange to think that this aladdin is the most successful movie will smith has ever been in in fact it's more successful than some of his biggest franchises put together and they're going to continue of this they're going to sequelize it and um, that actually was this there's a presence for this already and um, there was sequels to some of these classic movies and the strategy at the time was straight to video or straight to dvd depending on what uh what time it was when that film was coming out and there was a sequel to aladdin it's called the return of jafar they couldn't afford to get robin williams back so they got dan costella the guy who does the voice of homer simpson uh, but he is an amazing voice actor generally just does a robin williams impression and actually pulls it off uh, do you think for this you know to, to carry on with the pastiche of this they're gonna go find their budget will smith to be the genie in this sequel
1: they, sh- they might as well people will still go and watch it flinty they vote with their wallets that's true very true and um, yeah it's path, a shame Flintie. donald trump's gonna get yeah, a second I've... turn and aladdin's gonna get a sequel and i don't know which is worse
0: <laughs> that yeah i have gotta be honest aladdin really did not like the census for me i did not enjoy it in fact i i think i gave it two out of five and uh and yeah that what do I know right it's made a ton of money and they're going to do a sequel to it but it was just so joyless and so I mean don't get Guy Richie to come back for the love of God uh, like. but the money talks and you know I I constantly look at film Twitter and get really annoyed at people being so preachy and up their own arse and so film snobby so um, I need to eat my humble pie and say fair play to them and there's obviously enough people out there that enjoyed it Anyway, now retractions aside, let's talk about some other stuff. So, I love uh, Neil Blumkamp. He is a really, really interesting director. Films like District 9, Chappie, to name but a few. Uh, he was making a Robocop sequel. Unfortunately, he is not anymore. And that is a fucking crying shame because he was going to go proper 80s homage and just really sort of riff off that original movie, which was a classic.
1: Hmm. Yeah, sad news. It's a remake I definitely had time for. Although big, I can be cynical, I think Robocop definitely could do could do with one. So this is a bit of a sad news. Are they not making it at all then?
0: No, they're not. So essentially, um, there was actually a remake a couple of years ago which was really, really bad with Joel Kinnaman and Michael Keaton. Um, which, yeah, it, let's just pretend that film didn't happen. Uh, this, this new one was... Because this, first of all, this director has been fascinating with various sequels and spin-offs and remakes. He posted some fan art of a sequel to Aliens and basically kind of got a project nearly greenlit, but then due to other commitments and funding that that stopped happening. And but at the same time, someone else approached him and said you've managed to get some real interest behind potential sequels to films which can redcon other films that have happened. Do you want to do this with RoboCop? And he was like, fuck yeah. And they've come up with a concept and you know announced it, it was going to be called RoboCop Returns. And it was going to, you know, as mentioned, it was supposed to be a direct sequel to the first film and ignore the films that have come out since. And uh, yeah, just for whatever reason, clashes and calendar conflicts and just yeah the studio decided to can it for the moment and in all honesty i don't necessarily want anyone else to kind of maybe taika waitiki because i think he'll be fucking hilarious at doing this but um but yeah i if it's not neil doing it i kind of don't want anyone else to be to be fair
1: hmm well let's hope maybe they leave it alone then
0: unpopular opinion though um district nine took a while to grow on me like first time I saw it I hated it it was only when like I let it rest for a couple of years and revisited after someone told me you should give it another chance I actually enjoyed it have you seen District 9
1: yeah I thought it was a really underrated movie actually passed a lot of people by I thought it was great
0: hmm well a film that probably isn't on your underrated radar was the gi joe movies that came out a couple well, a few years ago uh, there was two two of them there was even a plan to do a a transformers gi joe shared universe but because the gi joe movies tanked quite a bit um, they decided to can that for now but there's going to be a spin-off movie in the works and henry golding is going to be attached now i generally think henry golding is one of the best actors going at the moment it's so underrated the way he works the fact that the guy was just a fucking news presenter on a travel show like two years ago and then obviously crazy rich asians he was incredible in john i know you really liked him in was it a simple favor the pull five movie
1: i well i loved a simple favor and i thought he was all right
0: <laughs> but um but my point is is that he's he's star is clearly shining and he's going to be in this gi joe spin-off which is going to be kind of cool but let's talk about another film that he's going to be in which the trailer dropped i think a couple of days ago uh, last christmas paul feig again working with henry also amelia clark Um the concept is basically amelia clark is a Ditsy girl who is a bit clumsy because she's attractive and that's the kind of tropes they do with that. And she works in London. It's all very London-y. And she bumps into a handsome guy. The handsome guys, obviously... Um, God, I fucking just mentioned his name a minute ago. Uh, Henry Golding. And, and yeah, it's backdropped by the music of George Michael. And they've kind of given a lot away in this trailer. Have you had a chance to see it yet? Yeah. Uh, it kind of feels
1: quite uh christmas rom-com you know nothing too outrageous or original about it but it is nice to see amelia clark uh kind of it it feels like unleashing her a little bit like she's actually showing her because she's such a funny and uh charming person uh this movie Mm. really shows it off obviously we all know her mostly from khaleesi from game of thrones which is certainly uh not giving much uh, in the way of not giving much away from her personality but this is i mean she's funny really charming just in the trailer i think it could be a really good movie um and henry goldin i mean you know that people are going to start calling him Hugh grant mark II, aren't they because he, he seems like the perfect leading man for this sort of movie so um we can maybe make a mandate of this one flinty and get Some awkward looks from people. (laughs)
0: <laughs> never John never awkward when it's you and me pal but uh, yeah I agree with you there's definitely a homage to love actually Paul Feig has come out and said on several occasions that he's one of his favourite films of all time is love actually Emma Thompson's even in this film as well they've kind of given a lot of way in terms of Amelia Clarke's character at some point suffers a illness and that illness results in her needing to have a heart transplant and all of a sudden that is starting to put connective tissue in this trailer which is suggesting there's a narrative of Henry Golding's character is something to do with this. Now whether that's some people are saying he's a ghost because he wears the same clothes in the entire trailer or some people are saying "Ah, maybe it's to do with the transplant and then you think wait a minute this is all connected by the music of George Michael. Obviously you're going to think last Christmas last Christmas I gave you my heart very next day you gave it away, I'll give it to someone special. Maybe it's all all linked into that. Or maybe it's fucking nothing to do with that at all. I'm enjoying reading all the the theories from this. But if there is like a weird twist of he's dead or he's something to a little bit more to meets the eye than just a simple by chance meeting and they hit it off, then they have done a pretty shit job because they have literally spluttered that across the trailer and given so much of that away, which (laughs) would be a crying shame.
1: Yeah, let's hope there's just an, an added twist to this movie. It looks interesting, though.
0: Yeah, and I think this is going to be just another... I know you don't rate the boy too much, but I I think the guy can be the next Bond. I generally think he can be. And uh, he's he's like... Like I say, he is kind of like Hugh Grant, but he's, he's like Hugh Grant, but not a bit of a bumbling dick like he just seems to be just a generally charming funny guy i think in like 2019 2020 when we're thinking about our next bond yeah we want to hold on to the past a little bit in terms of in terms of he's got to be smooth swagger and all that and british and all that sort of shit but why not get an asian heritage actor as well you know why can why can't i diversify just a little bit and i think henry golden is probably a great match for that
1: in my opinion he he could be a great bond i will give you that
0: so, anyway, just to wrap up news, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Event Horizon is such an underrated, well, it's got a cult following. And I think some people probably say it's quite underappreciated rather than underrated. Um, did you ever like, did you ever see, catch it? It was like 97 when it came out. But have you seen Event Horizon?
1: Yes, I watched it when I was quite young. And it, for me, it's one of the s- scariest movies I've ever seen. Uh, may- maybe because of the time I watched it, you know, when you first get into scary movies, I think I might have watched it when I was eighteen, nineteen, and it shit me up something chronic, mate. So um, I actually didn't revisit it. Maybe once I did, but it's one of their movies that really just stuck with me and shit me up. But uh, it on you know, that's what great horror movies do, right? So this is, sounds like interesting. Yeah, moves. exactly.
0: Yes, exactly. So, Event Horizon is going to be turned into a TV show. I think it's Amazon Prime making it an Amazon original that they're going to be doing an eight-part TV special which is based around the events of the Event Horizon. We don't know if it's going to be the prequel of the ship that went in before or what happens after or if it's a retelling of the original film. But I really, I'm apparently I've got the original director involved. I hope they can get Lawrence Fishburne attached somehow because he has done TV work. In fact, um, he was in Hannibal, the Hannibal TV show. Actually, just a side sidebar for a second. Have you started watching The Boys yet? No, that's uh, on the list along with Mindhunter Series 2. Oh my God, Yeah. I haven't started Mindhunter yet. I'm going to start that tomorrow night. But seriously, get on the boys. I know you're not a superhero guy, but I think you're going to love this. The guy they get to play, like their ripoff of Superman, Homelander, he is absolutely fucking incredible. And I, I can't take credit for this. It was Mark Bernard on Fat Man Beyond on their latest pod was talking about this. But I totally see this. He says, ah, oh, his version of this Superman character. Is like sixty percent of the time he's the Great White Hope. He's the American Pie homage to yesteryear that everyone needs, and he is the classic Superman from the comic books. But when he's behind closed doors, he is Hannibal Lecter. He is a psychopath. And as soon as he said that, I was like, yes, they need to get this guy to be playing a Hannibal Lecter in some form of endeavor in the future, whether that's in the TV show or a revamp of the film or maybe revisit a new sequel I don't know but he is so good John seriously check him out he is like he's been in tons of stuff before like films and TV like but not particularly massive things I think on the strength of this performance he is going to go on to even more incredible things anyway sorry back to Event Horizon TV show (laughs) Um, this is coming it's coming next year and it's going to be available on Amazon I hope they go rated R I hope they I mean do you remember the scene of the guy hanging from the the ceiling over the bed like Mm. oh how creepy was that like bring us that bring us that the feels from that
1: yeah No, I'm here for this I will watch it reluctantly slash (laughs) intriguingly And I will have nightmares again.
0: (laughs) Anyway, well, that's your news for this week. Okay, we talked about this at the start of the pod. We're about to go into our deep dive spoiler chat about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It goes without saying, if you have not seen this film, then stop, pause, make sure it's downloaded... Go to your cinema, watch it, probably sleep first like we did because we were going to record this pod last night, but we were like, no, nope, no, nope, let's take a moment to, to let it breathe and sleep on it and then come back. Obviously, this, you know this isn't changing our facts. This is a four out of five film. We did really enjoy it, but there are some things which I am dying to get off my chest and talk about, and I'd hope that John would like to that in like to enter humor me on this and uh, if you if you're interested or agreed and want us to continue talking or whatever then get in contact on twitter as well on that so john there's a few things i'd really love to hear your opinion on one bruce lee hey. did you think they went too far
1: <laughs> i thought it was great i thought it was so oh, i thought it was so funny um and i mean there are stories of how bruce lee acted on set and it is Basically, a factual knowledge that he uh, wouldn't lose a fight. He refused to do a scene in a movie or a TV show. I think it was a TV show actually. He refused to do a scene because his character lose. Uh, so and they had to rewrite it so that it was a draw. So um, I understand the Bruce Lee uh, estate are not happy about this because um, not only does he lose this fight, but he also comes across as a total knob. <laughs> but I thought it was. I mean, it's a Tarantino movie. There's. You can't take anything too literally, can you, with this movie? Um, And I thought it was a great scene. But but I mean, maybe if I was a massive Bruce Lee fan, I might not be so happy. But I loved it. I'd say good on you, Tarantino.
0: Push the boat out. What about you? Uh that's the thing like I'm not a big Bruce Lee guy obviously I know who he is I know the cultural impact he has had on the world but I do not know too much about him from that angle I felt that maybe the portrayal was a little bit inappropriate like generally he was talking like a a parody of a dubbed movie do you know what I mean like he was very over egging the words over it was almost like he was dubbing himself to an extent and Maybe, maybe that's me reading between the lines in a way that's not meant to be read. But I just felt that it was. I felt I can totally see why a lot of people are saying there's a lot of misappropriation here uh, from that portrayal. But I don't think it's enough to pan the film or like say boycott it or or anything like that. I kind of question why have that scene in all honesty because mm. it didn't really add anything to the narrative other than it explains that Brad Pitt's character is not well-liked in the system. They didn't talk about his wife's death or, like, actually touch upon it, did they? They showed that flashback scene where they're kind of implying he just pulled that trigger. But that was it. They didn't bother talking about it anymore. That's why I wanted
1: to talk to you about, Flintly, because you're expecting and hoping that they're going to revisit that and you're going to get some closure watching it. But Tarantino does something... Kind of genius, I think, and lets you tries to let you decide what happened to his wife. So you're half rooting for Brad Pitt, basically rooting for him for the whole movie, right? And then you find out this piece mm-hmm. of information, and by the end of it, you've totally forgotten about that. And you're like, at the end, you're like, oh, he is, oh yeah, he's a wife killer. Oh shit! And <laughs> I mean, I'd say the film 80% implies that he killed his wife, and that is actually uh, interestingly enough, there was an actor. Um, oh forgive me for not knowing his name but back in the 60s a tv star like cliff's character sort of who pushed his wife off a boat and kind of got away with it so this was a kind of homage to that um nearly any everything in this movie seems to be a kind of pastiche or homage or a nod to something um mm. you could probably there's far more than, you know, we would know. I, I'm sure the only person that really understands the whole, f- in its entirety, would be Tarantino. Um, but I really like that part of it. I thought it was kind of fun that it was like, oh, shit, I'm rooting for a, a horrible wife killer. Um, but he's really cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, he, he tugged you. <laughs> yeah. There's there's also another thing, actually, with Brad Pitt's character. You're right, actually. I didn't think of it from that perspective. Of Actually, if you just look at it on paper, just take away Brad Pitt being Brad Pitt and doing a very awesome job. On paper, this character's probably got a hidden agenda, a hidden past. There's also one thing as well, which I found fascinating. Now, you figured that this is the first film that Quentin has done in a post Me Too movement, and considering he was bosom buddies with Weinstein, in fact, he has had to considerably distance himself from a lot of that because there were—I don't want to say there weren't accusations, but there was definitely ill feeling towards Tarantino for being so in bed with Miramax and and Weinstein, obviously, all the things that transpired in that world. And he decided to actively go. You know what? I know that was that has happened, but I'm still going to do a scene. Where I'm gonna have an underage girl shown in a way which is really provocative, and in fact there's even a scene where she's bending over the car, and I'm not even joking, she's wearing like hot pants, and the camera's basically up her ass. And Brad Pitt is kind of being creepy and pervy. He's like 40 years her senior, and they're like implying something is about to happen. I was like, mate, this is risky for you to be doing. <laughs> yeah,
1: I I kind of feel like i mean there's there's a lot you could by today's standards you could certainly think oh this is a bit weird but i mean it's set this is set in 69 right and uh so i kind of think all of that stuff is uh, even you know as far as say as margot Robbie not having many much lines and sort of being this side character like a lot of unfortunately a lot of female characters would have been written back then um, I kind of mm. all see it as more of a pastiche and a homage than anything to
0: get worked up about to me. but um... I'm, not, I'm not getting worked up by it. I'm just saying that this is a very bold decision for Quentin Tarantino to make in his first film post the Weinstein scandals and to, to keep that scene in the film and in a way which, I know, I just thought he would steer clear of anything to do with sexualisation of women and especially underage girls.
1: Hmm. Maybe, yeah. It was interesting because, I mean, most of this, there's about 15% fact and his history in this movie and then he's kind of created a world around that and all of that is, mm-hmm. you know, completely his decision. But the Manson, I, I mean, how do you feel? Because Charles Manson makes, what, one appearance in this movie?
0: Um, in the middle. And I don't it's even think it, it doesn't actually... Scene. Is he actually in the film, like the character? Because I don't yeah. I don't recall actually seeing a Charles Manson. They show, obviously, Tex, who's kind of like his right-hand man, and he's the kind of forefront for the violence and stuff. But I don't... Was there actually... Do you not remember? That, that
1: he walked up to the house midway through. He's got a little goatee, uh, long brown hair. Uh, he ah, walks up to the yes, house, and then it's that. just a throwaway scene, and it's kind of creepy. Uh, but Charles Manson was this kind of failed rock star he was fascinated with the Hollywood lifestyle and celebrities and stuff. So um but interestingly, that same actor is playing reprising his Charles Manson role for Mindhunter series two, which yes. is out uh yesterday, I believe. So He's playing Charles Manson twice in one year. Uh, which So there you go. If you typecast <laughs> to one character, maybe you can get a, a fair amount of work out of it. But by all accounts, he's going to have a lot more talking to do than in this movie because uh, he didn't, other than a couple of minutes of walking around looking creepy, he didn't actually have anything to do. Um, but, I mean, how good was the scene go into his the ranch where the Manson family will I mean that's one creepy fucking scene and uh I thought it was it was kind of beautiful because Brad Pitt, right, is out there in this ranch being a proper cowboy confronting these crazy cultish hippies and trying to find out what's going on. Um, and being basically a badass and then you got leo dicaprio's character pretending to be a badass in that film and it's like it's a really mm. good sort of juxtaposition of the guy pretending to be a cowboy and then his stunt double who's you know got no money and blah 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 actually going out and being the cowboy i thought that was kind of a really uh clever thing tarantino did there
0: yeah i agree with you i think the way they set that scene up and like i was saying before i think this was tarantino pissing about in horror in terms of how he built up the suspense like how a horror film would and how he went into that the way it crept up the stairs and the tension and randomly dakota fanning is the the woman living in the house which is a a Really random role for her, because she's an amazing actor. Um, I'm not saying that was a beneath her sort of role, but it was just interesting to see her try something different from that perspective. And then you're expecting, when he's going on the door and about to open it, you're expecting to see something horrible, a butchered person. or But no, it's just an old guy who's kind of half-blind, who's been fucking this girl, and uh, yeah, he's, he's cool. <laughs> yeah, and that guy, who is based. he's a real dude as well, who uh, they did, the
1: Manson family actually rented that ranch off him or they lived and he did have it off with a lot of the girls in that cult so there's really horrible twisted yeah twisted history for you and they sort of just used him for his ranch and did tours they actually did the horseback tours Um so it was very bizarre Uh I obviously after this movie I was like how much of this shit is real this is crazy and it turns out I mean a lot of it uh, was kind of real. <laughs> so it's particularly with the Manson family and yeah, that cult. So, um, but yeah, I mean, what's in terms of performances? I mean, I thought Leo stole it for me. I've, I've read someone talk about Brad Pitt as the top dog in this, but I mean, I think Brad Pitt's brilliant. He does that. But I mean, Leo's character is so flawed and layered and the acting Mm. in this movie, from him, I think, is is his best role. I think I'm tipping him for the Oscar right now, because I think it's it was so good.
0: I agree If you that the performance is Oscar-worthy. I don't think this film is getting any Oscar nominations. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I just right. don't see it. I mean, <laughs> he got a, a nod with Pulp Fiction in, like, 92 or whatever, but I think that's the only time... Uh, maybe outside of the sort of music or costume sort of nominations, I I just don't see him getting it. Uh, I think that a lot of people are going to want, because I, I still think he's probably got a lot to answer to um, for me too, in some size, shape or form, just uh, by the by the vibe that I get, but maybe Hollywood's forgiven him and because he actually hasn't done anything wrong. He's just that he was obviously associated with someone who was so, so evil from that perspective. So I just, I just think the the Academy are going to steer clear of him, but I could be wrong. Mm. Like I say, I could be just reading into that far too much. But um yeah, I don't think I don't think there's gonna be any nods. But Leo is at like you say, this is grade A. This is the this is a career defining performance in my opinion as well. And um, you know he has managed to take the craziness that he had in Django Unchained and amplify that to eleven whilst at the same time being a a layered person and um, about self doubt about you know am I past my prime? who are these young bucks coming in and it's all right it's fine as long as I can pay my mortgage and keep my people around me and that scene with Al Pacino who again you know I was kind of disappointed that when you heard the name Al Pacino you're like yes, it turns out he's only actually in it for about ten minutes in fact they've probably done all the recording in a day, but that scene where he's basically saying to him, look, you're a loser. Like people aren't Mm. saying it to your face because you're a star, but you are here to blood in the new talent and you, you, and every time you bleed in a new stud, your, your value, you give a little bit away your soul and what's going to be left. And Mm. that, that hits home and you see it hit home on him and it has an effect over the film. And, you know, people aren't going to be talking about that sort of stuff. They're going to be talking about the flamethrowers and the the funny dancing and the throwing a can to someone's face, which, by the way, I laughed so loudly during that scene. But you are right. The performance is actually transcendent.
1: Yeah, there's some really interesting, uh, I wouldn't say cameos, but uh, almost like Marlon Brando-esque Apocalypse Now performances where someone pops up for five, ten minutes. Al Pacino, like you said, being one. Dakota Fanning incredible she has five five minutes on screen and it's just she just is brilliant at playing that character and so unexpected you've got maya Hawke in part of the cult yeah. uh out of stranger things also uma Furman's daughter so there's yeah. a lot and of uh, Hawke, yeah. yeah tarantino's has used you know reused a lot of his favorite actors for this and michael madsen yeah michael madsen um yeah. but I right like that. Start. I think that's a kind of it's it's like getting a it's like getting an actor in the perfect actor and saying, look, you've got five minutes, 10 minutes to give it this movie and it's got to be memorable. And he seems to get it out of him um, every time. Yeah. So and that's
0: part of the, that's got to be partly down to him. You know, do you remember? I don't recall seeing him, um, Samuel Jackson. Like, Samuel Jackson's always been his good luck charm in nearly all these films. He's either done a small part or had a, a main part, but I don't recall actually seeing him in this. And I don't, and I, I studied the credits, and I didn't see his name on there at all. So, I think this might be the first time in a very long time, anyway, that he's not been involved in any in the project.
1: Yeah, no sign of Sam, Sam Jackson, but I am sure he'll be all right
0: for getting work. Um, in the <laughs> one, maybe he's too busy with his marvel contract sorry you're gonna say <laughs> yeah
1: i don't know at the end obviously there there's a cult there's four of them and then maya hawk runs away in the car and then you got two tex and then the two girls and they get absolutely bludgeoned um and there's something about <laughs> their teenage girls getting absolutely bludgeoned which i mean it's cartoon horror almost it it's typical Tarantino gore but it did make me feel just a tiny bit contrived they've he's already painted these hippie cultist characters as kind of ridiculous and insane um but there was still something it was very uncomfortable viewing for me not to the point where I'm like (laughs) you know offended by anything but I just felt a little did you feel that or were you just loving
0: yeah well, this. I loved the initial scene where he just throws the beer can at the kid's face. I just laughed. I literally just burst out laughing. Uh, maybe just because it was so shocking. And then I had to look away when he was whacking that girl's head against the fireplace and then the TV. And he's basically just beating her to mush. And I was like, oh my God, Like this film, I did not expect it to go this gory this quickly. And it just it elevated up. One thing that did annoy me, though, just to go completely off tangent. It felt like at the start of the film, Quentin Tarantino just didn't know how to edit this movie. There was one there's a few scenes where I think Edgar Wright could probably look at the screen and go, nah, you've taken my little style of just flashing into things while you're making tea and making the dog's dinner and all that stuff. Maybe I think maybe there's a bit of maybe there's a bit of homage to that. I don't know. Maybe that's me just seeing Edgar Wright and everything. But um Also oh, I like that. What? It was why did he keep having noises so loud? Like, why Why the dog... Like, when people drink, I don't know if you noticed it, it was mm. like, when anyone had a drink, it was like... Yeah. Or like, the dog, when it licks its chops, and it's just like, I was like, why, why have you made this decision to emphasise these sounds? It just sounded weird, and it annoyed me a lot. Joe, oh, I loved it. I thought it
1: was... They were interesting little decisions. Yeah, it's kind of weird almost like asmr isn't it that you know when you talk really close to the microphone and people get a tingly feeling and and a boner but um i kind of really (laughs) liked it especially i mean who else but can make a moot can make a scene in a movie where you're basically feeding a dog and make it five minutes long and interesting um i mean yeah that's to me that i found that really fascinating and I liked all those little bits. I thought it was kind of Edgar Wright-ish. I, I sort of know what you mean. Um, and it's maybe... I mean, Tarantino's done similar things, but I
0: i liked it all, I have to say. Uh, one thing, actually. Now look, look at look at that scene again in your head. Right? That scene where he's feeding the dog. And mm. you get to see like how shitty his life is. You see how bad the house is. The fact that he's just cooking... Uh, macaroni and eating it out of the fucking pot and then the way he talks to his dog and the dog's like oh and then the dog winces for a second and he although it's a very charming funny scene about a guy and his dog if you look at Brad Pitt's expression there's nothing charming about it it's almost evil and then if you think about a guy who kills his wife and then he says if you make a noise like that again you won't be eating or something along with it. he implies that basically if you if you If you ask, if you beg, if you make a sign of weakness, you ain't eating, which is kind of sinister, right? And I think that's so layered in that performance. And when when it comes out on Blu-ray, I might even see it again while it's still in cinema. I'm going to look at that scene now knowing our discussion about, uh, is there an underlying evilness to to Brad Pitt's character? And um, look at that scene slightly differently. Mm.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, the film's kind of completely most of them flawed individuals, not sure whether to root for them. And then it does that clever thing where it gives you this far worse evil. And you're like, Oh, actually, yeah, just, just like fuck them up. That's I'm all good with that. Now, Uh, all is forgiven apart from uh, Sharon Tate, Margot Robbie's character, who's just this kind of pristine, amazingly charming and adorable actress. And it is a nice homage to her and her memory. Um, if not a, a bit of a strange one maybe for the uh, Tate estate to uh, to watch um, mm. as a twisted sort of alternate history of what could have been if only you lived next door to a washed up old cowboy actor um, <laughs> but I mean who else has the vision and ambition and just guts to rewrite history like this and just turn it into a movie Um, I kind of loved it. But I think this is going to divide a lot of people, right? I I mean, you're already seeing a lot of slightly contrasting reviews. Uh, Audience scores are kind of not amazing for this. I think it's a bit long. And like we said at the beginning of this podcast, it kind of jumps around a bit and doesn't feel like it's making much sense or has a point to it uh, until the end. And even then, if you don't know what's gone on, then you're probably think it's not much point to any of it so um but i'm sticking Mm. with it i think it's i mean the more i've i look into it think about it you know when a film lingers and it grows on you this has definitely grown on me especially reading more of the history of how it's how it's uh what it's based on i think um i think it's a great movie i think Tarantino's. If only we could get more.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, he's only got one more left in him. And apparently, anyway, I I don't believe that. I think that when your name's Quentin Tarantino and your films are are so iconic um, that you are going to go and do make more. But, um, you know, he does space them out. I think it'll be a few years before we hear about the next project. I think I generally, you know, I place my bets now I think he's going to go horror um, and I think he's experimented with this one I do agree with you that um, the more I think about it the more of a grower it definitely is I also think that Margot Robbie literally has fuck all to do with this film but she works with so she's managed she earns her right at the top of the poster uh, not because of the screen time but because of what she does with her screen time and uh yeah yeah it's a it's a nice homage to a what could have been Um he doesn't seem to have that same level of respects to to other people in hollywood i.e uh, bruce lee or some of the directors that he depicts in this but you know what you know that's that's his choice to make those decisions and um, i uh, the soundtrack is so fucking killer i've been listening to it all day and he really has picked out the classics to go with that that era they're trying to build and that night that feeling of just classy hollywood and um yeah, you know, it's definitely it's going to be i think it will age well i do think it will age well and uh i look forward to the next one i don't there's not really much more i really want to talk about from that perspective is there anything that we've missed
1: i've we've missed hundreds of things Flinty, because these oh yeah. film's layered um but yeah you've we've got to call
0: it a day somewhere haven't we really um, <laughs> yeah let's not go much past the hour um I, yeah <laughs> what's your favorite scene oh
1: well i i've got to, it's got to be one of leo's moments you know the scene with the little girl which i wasn't sold on at first i was like what's the point of this and then when she whispers in his ear uh and says that was some of the best acting that was some of the best acting i've ever seen and his he just starts to well up because he's such an emotional wreck and he, he its i just love it. every time these these little things set him off uh it seems like he's always on the brink and i can't think of many actors that could do it like leo could in this joaquin phoenix all right maybe but uh yeah i think that was a,
0: a showstopper for me what about you hmm I do agree that scene is probably up there with the best, if not one of the best. Um, I think that, um I generally... I know it sounds stupid, but I think the conversation that epitomises the relationship between Leo and Brad in this film is actually the, the dialogue between them when Brad's being loaded into the ambulance, when Brad's major concern was, where's the dog? And then Leo's just like... I'm going to go to the hospital right now. It's like no, no, no. You you get, you know, you get get naked and get in bed with your wife and it's basically like he's looked after him for 10 years and he has literally driven him everywhere he's cooked his food he has done everything possible to him but also Leo's looked after him because Leo whenever it's possible to get him in a job he has got him in a job and if he can't get him in a job then he will give him a job whether that's just putting up his TV antenna or, or cleaning the pool or doing an errand or whatever and yes I know that he actually has technically fired him at that point because of him getting married and obviously his wife's got expensive tastes and all that sort of stuff but just the relationship between them was so charming and that the exchange between them showed how much they were dependent on each other and how much you know, there was a love between them and I just thought that was really charming as a character piece uh, but that aside the flamethrower that was fucking incredible <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's a bit of a show stopping ending and you know typical TV cowboy gets the huge big fancy ending after uh, his stunt double has done all the hard work you know
0: <laughs> oh my god you're so right that is literally a, he done all the hard work and the main man comes in <laughs> to basically do the one show-stopping piece and take all the credit that is yeah. so true classic so there you have it what was your thoughts what's your opinions did we get it right is there something that we haven't discussed that you'd like to for us to chew it on so get in contact with us on twitter at talk Filmy to me thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast if you've enjoyed listening to this and maybe just maybe you're willing to go a little bit further click on the like follow subscribe whatever button it is that you get more content from talk filming to me or follow us on twitter at talk film to me and we'll let you know when the latest shows are coming out we've got some specials lined up we've got some interviews that have been edited and be spliced in over the next couple of weeks john my main man the guy i've done this with for two years and 100 plus pods now how can people find you
1: you can find me on Twitter, ranting and raving at all kinds of public figures, at Descamento.
0: <laughs> next week, we're going to be reviewing Crawl. We've got a game. We've got another interview with Bill from Batman on film.com because we're going to be talking about some pretty cool stuff, but I'll leave it until next week. Stay filmy till next time. Bye-bye. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.